The Yerdigua is a podcast channel is brought to you by First Nations Fiber. Welcome to the Yerdi Was a Front Page Podcast. In this episode, we speak with Montreal area journalist Christopher Curtis, who's currently in Lviv, Ukraine, covering Russia's invasion of the country. First Nations Wireless is now First Nations Fiber. You've seen our team working through the community to get you connected. From the new development to the OCR, from the 207 to Clay Mountains, FN Fiber makes fiber optic internet easy for everyone. Coming to Ganhawanga soon. Visit radio.fnfiber.com to sign up today. Hey, what's up, man? Hey, how's it going? Uh, a little homesick, but I'm I'm happy to be doing it. Yeah, where's where's your rental car? I left it in a parking lot used by I think bus drivers. Okay. I, well, I haven't heard back, so like, I said, <laughs> my fixer put the <laughs> this is hilarious. My fixer put the keys on a um, on a bus, and the driver drove it to like drove it to Poland. Because uh, he was going there anyways, and then they went to get it. So I don't know what this is going to cost me in the end. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's a real adventure. We're we're joined by Montreal area journalist Christopher Curtis, who is currently covering the war in Ukraine. Christopher, how and why did you make this decision to head out to to Ukraine to cover this war? Well, I think like a lot of people, I saw it as something that was going to become an like a, a gigantic humanitarian crisis uh, when it when it became clear that the Russian army was kind of just indiscriminately bombing cities. And I just, I, I guess I, I listened to a report on uh, BBC and I heard these children crying and like, um, I have a kid now. I've got a daughter. Uh, she's five months old, and and I just. You know, and then I started, I kind of started inquiring about what it would take to go over there, reached out to a contact in the military and they passed on some, some information to her. They, they introduced me to a fixer, I spoke to the fixer. And then she told me that, you know, she's in, uh, in the Western part of the country. Uh, she talked about her daughter and then I thought like our, our, her daughter and mine are like roughly the same age. And it was like, why is it like she has to be in danger and mine can be safe? You know, why, why is it that like these kids are in, in, you know, and like, I just, I, you know, you feel sometimes like you believe in something and you kind of have to act on those convictions. And, and I think that's what it was. And, and, uh, luckily my, my partner has been really supportive and, uh, my family too. So I just, you know, I just thought uh, I'll go there and, and, and tell stories kind of the way that I like to tell stories and, and hopefully just bring a little bit more humanity to the, to the coverage. And, that's what I've been trying to do. For for people who might not know the term, can you explain what a fixer is? Oh yeah, so so the, a fixer is someone who uh, helps reporters get in touch with interpreters, helps them kind of set up local contacts. Uh, my fixer uh, got me this hotel here and helps me find people that I might want to speak to. I you know I'll ask her to you know find me an orphanage or or kind of direct me towards uh, refugee camps. So I pay her and she she helps me to do a lot of my journalism and I work with this interpreter, his name's Dan. And, you know, he, he's a huge part of the story is, is how, how hard Dan works with me to, uh, to make sure that uh, I understand what people are saying and, and that they understand the questions that I'm asking. And he gives me a lot of context about what life is like in, in Ukraine for, for most people. And that's what a fixer is. And that's, that's what facilitates all of our reporting on the ground. Just about everyone here has one. So where exactly are you in Ukraine now? It's uh, it, probably the only really big city that's safe. 
Uh, it's called Lviv. It's near the border with Poland, and it's about 500 kilometers west of Kiev. Uh, sorry, of, of Kiev, and um, or Kiev is, is how the Ukrainians pronounce it. It's it's a really nice city. It's got a beautiful old part to it, lots of like Gothic architecture and a mix of like Polish settlements. Uh, the Germans have occupied the city. The Russians have occupied the city. It's a very uh, it's a very interesting place. Can you explain the the process and the journey that you went through to get there? Because it could not have been easy, right? Yeah, it's it's hard to get into a war zone. Yeah, so I had to take. Well, first of all, I had you know I had to sort of make sure that I had a, a place to stay here and that because there's. This is where most of the refugees end up is in this city. And, uh, you know, I'm in a, in a hotel, but there's, there's like six to a room in some, you know, in, in some rooms. And there's a lot of refugees here. Some of them sleep on the couch in the lobby. It's, it's this huge, uh, you know, humanitarian crisis. Anyways, I, I took a plane to Paris and then from Paris took a plane to Krakow in Poland. And then from Krakow, Poland, I rented a car and I tried to get over the border, but they realized that I was driving a rented car. And they told me to turn around, uh, which was really kind of like upsetting. But uh, but then I so I turned around and parked parked the wretched car um, in uh, like a bus uh, depot. Uh, managed to find some truckers who are uh, were delivering supplies to the front, and uh, one of them was nice enough to to let me hitch a ride with him. And then um, they dropped me off uh, here in, in Lviv. You know, it, it, we, we crossing the border is very, very long. They're on, on, on the way out of, of Ukraine, at some point, I think the line was something like 20 or 30 kilometers long to, to cross the border. You know, half of the, half of the 2 million people who have left so far are children. So they would line up for like 30 hours and, and you know, hope that they could get across. It's really difficult to see, you know, because you're, when you're right there, you know, you're like, five or six feet from, from, you know, some kid who, you know, she smiles and you see gums where her teeth used to be because she's just a kid and she's lost her baby teeth. And, and you just kind of, you feel a great sense of shame that, that there's not much you can do for her and that maybe you haven't been doing enough. And, and, uh, and so, yeah, so it's been an ordeal getting here, but, uh, you know, leaving for, for these people is, is uh, terrifying and, and a really difficult journey that takes them through war zones. And, and a lot of them have been fired at by, by Russian forces or bombs. Uh, so, you know, I, I believe some have driven over landmines. It, it's really, really scary for them. On the news, we're hearing a lot, a lot about how the Russian military are, are are doing two things. You know that that I think people should be concerned about is targeting civilians, and the other is targeting journalists. How safe do you feel while you're there? Well, I feel like I feel pretty safe because I'm so far away from from all the bad stuff. I believe there was a rocket headed for Lviv that was intercepted by their their air missile defense, but we're pretty safe in, in Lviv. It's probably the safest part of, of Ukraine right now. So I'm not in any real danger. There is, it, it, we are under martial law. So like at, at where we write our stories, there's like cops milling about and, and, you know, there's checkpoints everywhere. So you're constantly asked to show your passport and your press credentials and like no sudden movements. But uh, on the front, you know, yeah, journalists are dying. I believe two Dutch journalists were shot and killed at the beginning of the conflict. There have been other uh, shootings. I, I don't, I don't know if they were fatal, but it's really dangerous. And and there is, this is an, an a dictator, a despot that that doesn't value human life very much, obviously. And and, and so it, it becomes even more essential to to tell the truth and you know to try not to get caught up in the in the propaganda war between both countries because really i mean 
Russia is waging a terrible, terrible dehumanizing propaganda campaign. I mean, when you say that Ukrainians aren't a real people and they're not a real nation, you know, that's, and, and you're targeting civilians, it's kind of like that. that's how ethnic cleansing starts. And so it's, it's so on, on the one hand, you know, that's just like really, really terrible. But, you know, at the same time, to kind of rally the country, there's propaganda everywhere. You know, there's these posters where uh, the catchphrase, uh, Russian warships, fuck off. You know, that, that was something that a border guard said to a Russian warship and he was shot at the beginning of, of the war. And then, you know, there's, there's another propaganda poster that's a, a woman in a, in a traditional Ukrainian dress and she has a gun in Putin's mouth and it says, don't call me honey. There's, there's another one of a, of a uh, Russian soldier being um, kind of like dying and melting into the soil. And it says, you're not coming on our, on our soil, you're going into it. And so it's very, uh, like, there is, a, like, a, a lot of, you know, a lot of just really ratcheted up. All the news agencies here, the TV news agencies have combined to form kind of one channel. And, and it's very patriotic. And, you know, I think, you, you know, you, you, the flag is always there. And so you're trying to parse the information as much as you can and try and get to some kind of true reflection of what's happening you know, you really can't trust the number of casualties being listed on, on either side. You have to try and uh, independently verify. I mean, obviously, one thing that's, that's true for sure is civilians are dying. They're, they're, they're being slaughtered in some cases. And, uh, you know, the hospital was targeted the other day. And, and you know, two million people plus have, have fled the country. So this is very quickly becoming one of the worst, you know, humanitarian crises in, in Europe since, since World War II or the Balkans. So it's you know, obviously Syria is also included in this too. That, that was that was terrible as well. So it's it's really it's something. It's really um it's it's a lot to for the mind to handle right now. You know, you talk about the the civilians that are that are being affected. You know, how how are they viewing this conflict? Well, it's it's I mean it's it's weird because in the east where where the violence the the worst of the violence is happening, a lot of these civilians have relatives in Russia or friends in Russia. They're talking to their friends in Russia saying like, we're, you know, we're being, we're under attack, we're being shelled. And, and sometimes friends and relatives uh, won't believe them that they're being shelled or that they're being shot at or that they're being killed uh, or they don't care. They, they say that, you know, it's, this is, this is good for Ukraine. Ukraine's going to be free just like Russia. And so there's, there's a really kind of weird unreality happening as, as the crisis unfolds. And you see people show up to the city of Lviv with all they have left in the world, you know, a suitcase, maybe a pet. Uh, in most cases, it's, it's mothers with their children because the men have stayed behind to fight. And, uh, you know, the kids are, are, some of them are just kids. They're playing, they're having fun. And some of them are just very obviously rattled and scared and traumatized. And, uh, you know, it isn't uncommon to take the bus in the city and, you see someone burst into tears, uh, or or you know you're you're at a restaurant and the same thing happens because weirdly like life kind of goes on during this crisis. People go to their jobs and and um, you know the city still has restaurants and and it still has grocery stores and gas stations even though there's huge lineups to get fuel uh, or and some gas stations don't even have fuel anymore. Life is kind of moving on, but there are these constant reminders about the cost of this of this war and and. And, uh, you know, I was, I was sitting down with an interpreter I was working with and he checked his phone and the other night he said, um, oh, two, two of my friends are dead. And, and it's just really, it's really, um, it's hard to fathom 
the uh, the depth of, of pain that a lot of these people are, are going through and and, uh, and the fear and the, the, the uncertainty about what tomorrow holds for them and, and whether they'll still have a country in a year or two years or, or, or even you know several months or whatever it's, it's really uh, it's quite terrifying for them is COVID even a concern to them right now? I mean, some people wear masks. Uh, I have not seen a lot. I think they've kind of put that on the back burner. Um, I visited a children's hospital today and no one was really wearing masks, but you know, their, their priority is wounded children or children who were in intensive care for whatever reason before the war uh, in the East. And they had to be moved to hospitals in the West. And, and it's, it's like, that's the, that's the crazy thing is, is, is to see, you know, a child who had his leg amputated. I didn't, I didn't see this child, but you, you know, you talk to someone who treated him and, and, and they, you know, like that's where all of their medical attention is going is just to treat the war wounded and to try and, and to try and provide care for those who really needed it over there and, and had to evacuate or die. I mean, they targeted a hospital just the other day, a maternity ward just the other day. It's, it's uh, really like, at once you see the very worst of humanity and then you see a lot of people helping and, and going out of their way to save other people and, and, and you see the best of humanity and it's it's really confusing for your, your brain and your mind and your and your and your heart to see all of this all these contradictory things at at the same time. What are some of the things that stand out to you that five years from now, ten years from now that you're gonna look back at, at your time in Ukraine covering this war? Um I think seeing kids lying in a in a train station uh, sleeping on the floor or seeing kids um lined up uh, at the border in, in the freezing cold it's it's it was miserably cold one night and they're just crossing not really knowing what's going to happen you know seeing a baby in her mom's arms in, in in the middle of winter and you know on the Polish border just praying that she'll get on a bus and and seeing children with like their cute little bunny ear toque and, and, and their little cartoon character winter coats and, and just seeing them struggle for their lives and, and just you wonder what the future holds for these kids. I mean, I, I met a child, I met a family and, and um, the kid is just like mute and rattled and doesn't know what's happening. And he's, he's, beautiful little boy and, and called Kirill and and you just you know the things that he's seen on his on his journey uh west are 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 terrifying and and then visited a uh, refugee camp the other day and on the way in i saw this table i didn't know what it was so i approached it and it was all like a box cutter a kitchen knife uh hammer uh you know, a, a can of pepper spray and like these are the weapons that confiscated from the, the women and children who were were fleeing the big cities because this that's all they had to defend themselves against. Like if they were so worried they were going to die that they, they had to grab something and they had like a, a box cutter against cruise missiles or whatever. And that, you know, never like, that's never going to be normal to me that, you know, and, and I really don't like, I think there've been moments that, that have hit me, but for the most part, you know, and you know, this you've reported on difficult things, Greg, the, the, that like you kind of shut down to like, to be able to focus on the story. But, um, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's, it'll sink in later. And I, and I, and I, I, I intend on taking a bit of time off when I get home because I, I just want to be with my kid and, and my partner and just like feel like myself again. You're doing this for yourself too, for, for your own 
outlet and you're not you're not you know freelancing for anybody else or you haven't been sent there by a major media outlet correct yeah yeah i mean like i was talking to someone from a tv station and you know they hire security experts to get them in the country and they you know they and of course like because it's dangerous and because you want you know you want your people to be safe but i kind of came on a shoestring budget but i think it's important and i think that i was worried that the coverage uh, that would come out of uh, Ukraine would just be like cheerleading for this war. And, and, and I can understand how we get caught up in that, but I, I just really wanted to focus on, on the human cost and, and, and what, what it, what war looks like. And to me, war looks like a child in the cold waiting across the border. You know, to me, war looks like a parent who, who doesn't know if, if she'll ever see her husband again, because, she had to leave them behind and, and, and take the kids to safety, you know, like th- those are, that's what, what's going to, what's going to rattle me forever is, is just this idea that we, we as human beings can do these things to each other. And so I, I, I knew that if I came here, it wasn't going to be easy, but I knew that like, these are the kinds of stories that I, I tell and, and that I want to tell and that I, I want, you know, to try and share with a bigger audience so we can pay closer attention and be very, um, vigilant about the cost of this kind of this kind of war and 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 uh, this kind of conflict and and what it you know what what it means for people to fight for their freedom and and how dangerous it might be that it descends into something much worse and it just both sides end up hating each other and it turns into a long and long like super bloody war so i i'm sorry like it was a very simple question but i went off in a million directions no, 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 that's fine. I mean, that's, that's, that's what we're here for, right? To talk, to talk and to tell the story. There's a story, there's, a, there's many stories behind what's going on and, and over in Ukraine. And, you know, if there's, there's one, one story that you, you want our listeners to, to know or our readers to know about what's going on there, uh, you know, is there anything that you want to relay to them? It's, it's, uh, it's hard um, to, you know, I know a lot of people in, in your community have served in, in, the, uh, in the armed forces uh, in, in the United States and in Canada. So I, I know a lot of your, the people in your community understand the sacrifices that soldiers make. So I, I think that they would probably understand a lot of this more than I ever would. But, um, but I, I, you know, I mean, I think that it really puts things in perspective. And, and, and I say this as a white Canadian who, who, you know, who hasn't experienced genocide. I mean, you, you have, you know, you know what it is to, to, to almost lose your language and you know what it is to, to have uh, your, your, your rights and your territory infringed upon. So for me, it's, it's, it's a wake up call that, that, you know, a lot of the things that we complain about in our daily lives are meaningless, but you know, for someone in, uh, in Guinea, Guinea territory, like I, I, I don't know uh, what lessons that I could ever teach them about humanity and humility because I think they know all of them. But I, I would say that there's a, there's a good chance that we'll see some of these refugees and there's, and there's a good chance that they're going to need our help in some way. And, uh, and I, that maybe the one lesson that's kind of become really clear to me is that, you know, I, I don't want to be angry anymore. And I don't want to like, like, I don't want to be mad about this. I want to open my heart and, and, and just like, find a way to show the, the survivors of this love and, and to, to find a way to help and to find a way to, to, to be a part of the solution that isn't, doesn't involve just me getting angry. And I, I think it's helped give me perspective. I hope that I get to keep that when I get home and, and don't just become a big whiner again. I'll, I mean, I'm, I, I miss home a lot right now as I haven't been gone very long, but I, I miss home and I, I you know, I, I consider uh, Gunawage like a part of my home. Like I don't live there, but I, it feels like, 
something that I miss. And, and I, I just want to say that I miss you and I miss everybody in your community. And, uh, and I, I really hope that, um, I hope that we all get to see each other soon. Where can people read about what you're covering? I have a newsletter and it's at a website called Rover, R-O-V-E-R dot substack, S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K dot com. And, uh, you know, if you want to, you want to check it out there, there it is. And I'm, I'm trying to post at least one dispatch every day. I think I've written five pieces so far. I'm probably going to write one about orphans tomorrow. And, uh, and so I'm just going to try and keep at this until I leave on Sunday or Monday. Thank you very much for, for your time. Stay safe out there. Absolutely. Greg, I, I always appreciate you, man. You're, you're a great journalist and a great friend. I can own on, man. Thanks for listening to the Yerdiwaze front page podcast. Be sure to check out our other podcasts like Yerdiwaze Profiles, Meatheads, and The Beating Table on Google and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. The views and opinions of the guests expressed in this podcast do not reflect those of Yerdiwaze and its employees.